I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, S.E. Flinor, and I'm here with my good buddy and other host, Sarah Century. Hey, Sarah. Hey, S.E., what's up? How's it going? <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm here to tell you that we have a guest. And, <laughs> and it's one of our rare return guests. We have only had a few people be on the show twice. And so you might be able to guess, but if not, this is Erica Schultz. Welcome. Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much. I didn't know that you you don't have people on twice. Well, it's not on purpose, but it just has only shaped up like that, right? This is your platform. You can make it whatever you want. You can talk about whatever you want. You can not talk about whatever you want. You could have people on 10 times. You could have people on... You tell people to fuck off. You don't want them on your fucking podcast. Fuck you. Like, you do whatever you want. You don't have to justify yourself to me. Who the fuck am I? One time I said that Ryan Reynolds was always invited on our podcast. Just like, because I was talking shit and Sarah was like, no, he is not. <laughs> I died you laughing. Actually, you should actually get that that sound bite and you should put it online and then you should tweet it to him because he tends to respond to tweets randomly. Oh, that's, that's right. Idea. We might get some engagement from yeah. Ryan Reynolds. Sometimes, like, I really love Deadpool. And I'll tag him in, like, Instagram posts about Deadpool because I'm like, this is hilarious. And then he'll, like, <laughs> like it. And then I take a screenshot of him liking it. And then I post that and tag him in it. And then it, he doesn't usually do anything with that one. But I think it's pretty funny. I'm like, I'm making myself laugh even if I'm annoying Ryan Reynolds, who I will never meet. So, but You know what? As long as you make yourself laugh and you're not hurting anybody, like, the fuck does it matter? Exactly. I'm not, I'm not here to hurt. The Just tone for the interview has been set. <laughs> <laughs> okay, amazing. So, Erica, you're back. Thank you for being here with us. We are so pumped to have you. We know we're going to talk about a new project you have going on that we're very excited to hear about. And again, like Sarah mentioned, we've had Erica on before. She joined us for episode 65, which is called Flawed Characters. In that one, we talked about your work around Charmed, Xena, Forgotten Home, the legacy of Mandrake. I mean, you've been doing a lot of work and it is very exciting. Yeah, it's like Daredevil. (laughs) So we are super pumped to have you here today. What's new for you? How you doing? You hanging in there? What's up? 
Uh, well, I mean, that's like the question now is like, how are you? Is the family okay? Yeah, the, fa- <laughs> the family is fine. Uh, we're we're just we're doing okay. Uh, my husband and I, you know, would work from home mostly anyway. Uh, I've been teaching still. I I do teach in person. I teach at the Kubert School. And I, before, off mic, I was complaining about my students not getting their working on time because you know I got to grade everything before the end of the semester. But yeah, I mean, we've been fine. I'm kind of a misanthrope to begin with. And I kind of just like don't like people. So I've been using the pandemic as an excuse for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So um, now that everything is starting to open up in Jersey, because that's where we are now, I'm getting a little nervous that people are going to start expecting me to show up to things. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, yeah, nah. But, yeah, same way. Yeah, I've been kind of in the same boat. Yeah, I was going to say, the thing I miss the most is canceling plans. <laughs> Can't wait to cancel some plans. Mm. For me, it's literally like going to movie theaters so I can be social in quotations, but not yeah. be really sitting super close to anybody <laughs> and like just enjoying the movie on my own time. <laughs> like, Movies are going to be tough for me. Like, I don't think that I'm going to go to a movie yet this year. I'm not doing any conventions this year. I know some conventions yeah. and you don't more power to them. And if they're doing it safely and the fans are going and the pros are going and everybody's safe and they enjoy themselves, God bless. But Mm -hmm. I just personally don't feel comfortable doing it. And I don't want to be at a convention because I feel like I have to be there. I don't want to be there and sort of give off this sort of like air of obligation. Like I want to be there because I want to be there and I want to interact with fans because I want to be there and I want it to be a good interaction, not like me have a chip on my shoulder the whole time because it's like, oh, I got to be at this convention. Mm-hmm. So so I want to feel comfortable too. I was invited to a lot of conventions and I was like, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you have the budget, I would appreciate it if you could extend the invitation for next year. So I'm just sort of like waiting to hear back from some conventions to see if they'll be like, yeah, sure, next year or like whatever, lady. Uh, <laughs> so we'll see what next year's conventions look like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I feel like that whole like I didn't even realize people are still trying to do them in person this year. Yeah. Which, again, I'm with you. I'm like, hey, if you're if you're being safe and I guess we're all adults for the most part, you can take risks you want to take. But it is. I don't even know if I can ever go to a convention again. I've always had crowd anxiety. And now yeah. I haven't been in a crowd in over a year. So I'm like, what if I just never am in a crowd again? What would that be like? So, yeah. Wow, pretty that's cool. wild of me. <laughs> yeah, right? It'd I be, be pretty calm cool, and happy? I don't know. <laughs> What's seems, that? Seems What's suspect. happiness? <laughs> <laughs> There was just that episode on Bob's Burgers this past weekend of like Bob learning how to meditate. And he's like, God, it was so funny. This is, wow, I've never felt like this before. (laughs) And Teddy, who's like his handyman friend, who's just like, Bob, Bob, you're scaring me a bit. Bob, 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 are you still there? So that that would be me. I'd be like, everybody would be like, Erica, what the hell's wrong with you? And like shake me really hard by the shoulders. I'd be like, this is amazing. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Oh, Never to it. be heard from again. Yeah, exactly. I would like just go off into the woods or something. I think about it on a daily basis. I'm not going to kid you on that. Yeah. I'm like, oh, should I shed my clothing and run away? I think I will. <laughs> and then I have like a deadline. So I'm like, all right, fine. I'll work like a normal person. Yeah. <laughs> I'll contribute to society. Yeah, I guess. I guess I'll be happy-ish. Just kidding. I actually love my work. But we're not here to talk about me and my therapy. We are here to talk about <laughs> Erica. Yes, we are. But yes, <laughs> go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. We want to talk about Erica's therapy. <laughs> I hope this is therapeutic in some strange way. You know what? It has been. We do call it the therapy podcast sometimes. Well, there you go. <laughs> there probably is a the therapy podcast. And they're For like, sure. those bitches need to stop saying our name. <laughs> so, so you'll be like the therapy bitches. <laughs> yes. Ooh. Yeah. Lots of spinoff opportunities here. <laughs> I had the idea that we should start doing a comic strip and then call it Bitches in Comics. <laughs> that would make me laugh really hard. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Don't steal it, Erica. I'm, I'm not like, going to steal mm, it. I, I want to support it. Oh, you're so Put smooth. it on your Patreon. Bitches in Comics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm like, oh, right, this little note in the margins of my notebook. Don't forget <laughs> Tell... to, like, put a little pattern around it, color a little pattern. Yes, you know, exactly. <laughs> Got to have the border. Otherwise, how do I know it was important? 
Uh, yeah, amazing. So we are talking today about your new project, which is yeah. called The Deadliest Bouquet, written and lettered by Erica Schultz. Hey, Erica. Hey. Art by Carola Borelli and colors by Gab Contreras. So what a yes. cool creative team. Seems like you've enjoyed working together. I'm really pumped to just get to talk about everything. So you just launched a Kickstarter. Is that right? Yes. So it just started yesterday. So yes. tell us about it. What's your goal? What are you raising it for? Obviously, feel free to tell us a little bit about Deadliest Bouquet. And then we got to read issue one already because we're cool. So we got <laughs> lots of questions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Deadliest Bouquet, it's going to be a five-chapter OGN. We are raising $20,000 for the Kickstarter, and that's going to be going toward finishing production on it and toward getting it printed. We've already completed 100% the first chapter, the second chapter, the line art is complete, and the coloring is being done on that. And uh, we've got a fabulous, fabulous cover by Kevin Wada. I mean, come on, drool. And I do want to mention one other member of the team is James Emmett, who is the editor, who is fantabulous. And we originally had a publisher who was interested in the book, but COVID sort of kiboshed that and sort of screwed up, you know, that plan along with, you know, so many other people and by no means yeah. the person. But James was already attached as editor and he was, you know, very confident and very adamant that we could definitely do this on Kickstarter and be successful with it. Uh, He has a lot of experience with Kickstarters, running them for not just indie projects, but also for companies and such. So um, I lean very heavily on James and James is my rock, but we've got a fabulous team. Um, The story is like, this is probably the best log line that I've ever written and I will never write another good log line like ever again. (laughs) So in 1998, three estranged sisters trained by their Nazi hunting mom reunite after their mother's murder and try not to kill each other in the process. Yes. Yes. Every single word. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I love that log line. Whenever I read that, I was like, okay. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. It's like the only good log line I've ever written. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like it gets better with every word. I love it so much. The cover, too, by Kevin Wada is just so, so beautiful. And I was going to say, you have kind of a running theme. Every single book of yours that I have ever read has had just, like, the most beautiful cover. So congratulations. You're doing pretty good on that. Why did you choose Kickstarter? Because you were kind of halfway through that story, I think. What was it about Kickstarter that seemed like, because I see so many creators doing that. I think like once a month I contribute to some Kickstarter and end up getting, you know, one of the best comics that I'll read that year from it. So was it something that you had considered before or is it something that you just kind of jumped into with this project? I did do one Kickstarter previously with Claire Connolly, who's an artist that I collaborate with on like crazy stories. And uh, she and I had done two stories together, and then we did a Kickstarter to get those two stories that were previously um, just ink wash, black and white, colorized, and then to get a brand new story done. Uh, the whole anthology was called Strange Tales. And we were actually nominated for a Ringo Award last year for the best anthology. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So that was the first Kickstarter that I did. We did that in 2019. Originally, I really didn't want to do a Kickstarter. I was really leaning heavily on having the publisher put everything out and sort of fund everything. But I had had a lot of false starts with the story. I had been working on it on and off for a couple of years. And I was having a lot of trouble really finding finding the path. Um, this story has got a lot of history to it. Sort of the roots of the story start all the way back World War II and go through three generations. And I kept attacking the story from different angles and every angle I would take it, I would end up going down rabbit holes and it just, it wasn't working. So I, when I brought James aboard, I I just sent him everything. I sent him these like false starts and everything. And he's like, okay, you're going to take this from this and that from that and that from the next thing. And you're going to focus on the three sisters in 1998. He's like, you're going to talk about you know, World War II, you're going to talk about the things that happened in the 50s and the 60s, but you're not going to get in the weeds with it. You know, you're going to touch on it. Otherwise, the story's never going to get finished. So when the publisher came back and said, look, you know, because of COVID, we really can't do it. I thought, oh, man. And part of me was like, well, just, you know, 
put it in the notebook and put it on the shelf again. But another part of me was like, I've been banging my head against a wall on this story for so long. We finally cracked the code. I don't want to wait anymore. So I think that's why I was just like, no, we have to get this done. And if that means we have to do Kickstarter, then we're doing Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And has it opened up anything? Like I know that Kickstarter usually has different tiers of things that you get. So is there merchandise or something that you were including with this? Or what are the different tiers of support? Oh, we've got, I I always like, we've got tiers for any budget. You know? <laughs> <Yes>. So I <laughs> mean, our, 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 our tiers literally, they range from a dollar to $250. So you can just give us a dollar and a thank you will be printed in the book. For $15, you would get a digital copy of the whole story, which is 120 pages. For $25, you'll get the print copy of the book and a digital. Then we've got temporary tattoos. We have sort of a blind grab bag where you can get any number of other comics that I've written, signed and sent off, you know, Charmed, Xena, M3, 12 Devils Dancing, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff. And then we've got, we were talking about the notebooks, we have notebooks that you can get at a tier where you would get a sketchbook or a journal with the Kevin Wada cover on it. Elaine Grace did a freaking fantabulous print. And the top two tiers, uh, one is for getting drawn in the book, but we've limited that to three because I don't want poor Corolla to have to draw like a million people. <laughs> Um, and then the other one, it's a 250. I'll do a script review for you and I'll edit your script. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah. It seems like there's, there's really, there's really no reason not to support it. <laughs> yeah. It like, since you've made it available at all levels. <laughs> exactly. I love that. <laughs> we're, we're like the same way. Like our Patreon, we have like all kinds of levels you can support the pod on, but we're like, Bleh. We don't want to keep track of who gets what. Everybody gets everything. So we took a slightly different tack, but we're also not trying to kickstart a comic. We're just yeah. Also, like the we haven't even tapped into merch or anything like that. So we flirt with it every now and then. Yeah, let's do it, and we're like, "Eh, I don't know. Later, let's give all those pins away. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. It's like it's like the notebooks. You know, you can fall down the rabbit hole with that. Like Mm -hmm. we've got stickers, we've got temp tattoos, we've got. Pins. Temporary tattoos sound great. What are they of? Yeah. They are of Violet's tattoo. It's the, ah, it's Les Trois ah. Fleurs. It's the, the yellow rose, the red poppy, and the purple violet. That rules <laughs> so hard. Yeah. Amazing. I'm going to go right after we finish this, go click and clack on my computer, put in Kickstarter, search the deadliest bouquet, then I'm going to choose a tier, then I'm going to put my credit card number in. Just kidding, get saved. I do way too many Kickstarters. And then I'm going to hit support. I cannot wait. I'm so pumped, Erica. This is really exciting. Oh, you, you know. I was like, in case anyone's intimidated by Kickstarter, it's very simple. This is what you do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Supporting a Kickstarter is super simple. Running one yes. is, is like simultaneously trying to run four marathons. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, it hurts my heart. But, you know, you know, Eddie Izzard, like she was doing this whole thing where she was raising money for all these places around the world. And she did the equivalent of two marathons in a day. She's so cool. I'm like, what? I want. Can I be you, please? You're amazing. Yes, that is wild. That is wild. So you talked a little bit about how you moved from having this sort of huge idea that had all these different roots into figuring out the form of the story. I'm curious, what's the genesis of the idea? What's the first part you figured out? What What made you want to tell this story? I am so horrible at answering this question because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where my stories come from. Like, if you've ever seen Empire Records, there's that like scene with Lucas where he goes, who knows where thoughts come from? They just appear. And that's literally me. Like, I was on the phone with Liana Kangas, who's a fantastic artist and creator. And I just literally blurted something out. I was like, hey, like, wouldn't it be cool to do like a book about chick assassins in the 90s, but like their mom was an assassin and maybe she like hunted Nazis or something and I could like pull in World War II and stuff. She's like, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. And that was it. Like my brain is broken. That's what it basically comes down to. My brain is broken. 
So what I wanted to do is I wanted there to be a real richness to these characters. Um, and I wanted everything to be sort of anchored in reality. You know, I've, I've written about three sisters before for Charmed, but obviously they're, you know, having magic. So I wanted to, to turn around and say, okay, where can I make this sort of fit itself into the real world? And, you know, the French resistance in World War II was a big thing. And there was always this conspiracy theory that like after the war, all these Nazis like ran away to South America and all this other stuff. And that's where that film like Boys from Brazil comes from. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering, I was like, okay, so if there was a cadre of Nazis that escaped Germany and escaped the, you know, war trials, what if there was a cadre of people that were trained to go after them? And so that's where that sort of came from. So you have... You know, your three sisters in 1998, you have Rose, Poppy, and Violet. Their grandparents were part of the French resistance. And after the war ended, they set up this group of spies and assassins to hunt down these Nazis that had fled. And they had a child. Well, they had two children, Chris and Jasmine. And Jasmine is the mother of our three sisters. And Jasmine was trained along with her brother, Chris, to be one of these people to hunt Nazis down like all over the world. And then Jasmine suffers a tragedy and leaves and goes to America and meets a young man named Lionel Hawthorne and then gets married and has these three children and uh, sets up a flower shop in North Jersey. And, you know, you would think that you're living the American dream. Well, you know, it's not all pretty. So, uh, yeah, shit happens. And uh, Jasmine realizes that her daughters need to learn how to protect themselves. And so Jasmine then takes the mantle up again and does what her parents did and just trains her daughters to be assassins. Damn, I wish I had, like, inherited something cool like being an assassin. <laughs> All I got was, like, acne and a tendency towards alcoholism. Like, Thanks, Dad. I did not get my dad's blue eyes. My one sister got my dad's blue eyes. I got my mom's brown eyes. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Dads. Dads just don't understand. No. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they don't. <laughs> what was your research process for this? Did you end up doing a lot of reading of the French Resistance and things in like that time period at all? Or was it kind of just like the stuff that you knew already? I had done a lot of research about World War II years and years and years ago. My grandfather was a World War II veteran. Um, he was part of five major campaigns in the North African and European theaters, including Battle of Bulge, and part of uh, the Normandy invasion. He was part of the second wave of the Normandy invasion. And I had learned a lot about World War II just in general. Um, I thought it was very interesting. My father was a veteran of Vietnam, and I always thought that there was like this very interesting sort of dichotomy between the way World War II veterans were treated and the way Vietnam veterans were treated. And that's something that I've been interested in, you know, for years just in general and and seeing the difference between the way my grandfather would talk about the war versus the way my father did. So I always thought that that was like a really interesting thing. Um, I've had a lot of friends that were in the military. Uh, I actually had joined the military uh, right after college. And unfortunately, <laughs> like right before I was supposed to ship out, uh, the military doctor actually took took the time to look at my medical records and was like, ha ha, no. <laughs> so that screwed me over. But yeah, I mean, I come from a, a long line of sort of military family. And, um, and I think that there's sort of like this, you know, you think of a specific way that a soldier is supposed to be, but you, you wonder about the people that are there too, you know, like, you know, the soldiers come as like an occupying force. Well, what about the people that are there? So with the characters, the grandparents, which are uh, Leif and Dahlia, you know, Dahlia was born in France and she was 16 years old when her parents were killed, when the Nazis came and took Paris. And so she was actually, her parents owned a, now none of this is in the book. This is, this is like the crazy, this is the banana pants part. None of right. this is in the book, but this is all in my head. <laughs> Netflix, call me. <laughs> and so Dahlia's parents owned a, a restaurant in Paris. There was an argument between a German soldier, Vichy soldier, and they were killed. And at the restaurant, at the time that this was happening, there was a young woman named Georgette, and Georgette was part of the French resistance. And she shields Dahlia from, you know, the German soldier shooting. And Dahlia is like just 
out of her mind. And Georgette takes her and pulls her aside and was like, it's okay, it's okay. And sort of takes care of her. And once sort of the shock wears off, she says, I can give you the chance to seek revenge. And takes her and brings her into the fold of the French resistance. Leif was this, you know, young Swedish immigrant who was living in the United States, who he was uh, farming and he injured his hand and wasn't fit for service for the army. But when he heard about the French resistance, he just up and left and came to France to be part of the resistance and to help because he felt like he needed to do something. Um, and he meets Dahlia and they fall in love. And then when the war is over, they sort of take over and meet with a bunch of other members of the French resistance and say, you know, this isn't over. You know, the, the war might have, quote unquote, been over, but this really isn't over. And so they travel the world hunting people down that had escaped. And then they had Jasmine and Chris, you know, and that's sort of where these these three ladies are. But you can see how it's hard to start this, how I needed James to help me start this story because now my brain is going, oh, you know, you could totally write that that whole thing about Dahlia <laughs> and Georgette and Leif and everything. And I'm like, no, but I have to finish the, the script for issue four. Right, I have to finish this story and then we can yes. do the back story. Yes, yes. And you were talking about how you had a lot of guidance, but whenever it came to just kind of narrowing down these elements of the story, was that kind of more intuitive once you had gotten feedback on it? Or was it still something that you're just like, I should add this and this and this and this? I am struggling still. I mean, yeah. the, the vast majority of it I did, you know, with James's help, I sort of like stayed on the straight and narrow. But I am struggling, especially like I have 18 pages of the fourth chapter written, like totally scripted. And those last couple of pages, I keep wanting to throw in more. And I'm like, Erica, stop it. Like smack my hand, stop it. Just make it more clear and streamlined. So I actually might send James a not complete script and be like, James, please help me again because I'm crazy pants again. <laughs> and then it's, oh, okay, my, I've got to help my little Erica. Cause you know, I, I got to tell you, a good editor is like, part editor, part therapist, like just, <laughs> you know, because I mean, you have to calm your creators down because we're all emotional basket cases. So. Mm -hmm. I'm like waiting for Essie to jump in because Essie I was literally uh, just talking <laughs> to another editor about how we both went to different therapy programs, like to be counselors and we both stopped doing it because we were like I would start yelling at people and being like I told you the solution last week <laughs> um, but it's great for book editing and like story editing because you're like you bring all this empathy but then you tell people how to fix things and then they fix them <laughs> for stories, yeah. not your psyche Hey listeners, thanks for being with us here today. Maybe you don't know, but Sarah and I actually run a whole host of projects. And we actually have a publishing house called Queerspec. You can always go check it out. It's at queerspec.com. And that's where we host this podcast, Bitches on Comics. Another cool podcast we're working on called Tales of the Sapphire Bay Hotel. If you want to know more, go to queerspec.com. And we have this very cool project called Decoded Pride. Decoded Pride is our story a day anthology of LGBTQ stories by LGBTQ creators. We're an independent series of projects, so everything that we fund, we fund ourselves. So that means that Sarah and I are out here hustling as freelancers. We're making money and sending it right into our other projects. And also eating sometimes. Mmm, ramen. Mmm, delicious. So Dakota Pride is amazing. I mean, we have so many stories by so many diverse voices. We have so many gender variant authors that we're publishing. We've got comics, science fiction, fantasy, horror, the whole shebang. And if you order right now, you can get our pre-order price. And you can just go check us out at decodedpride.com. Go buy a subscription right now, pre-order it. We want you to be with us reading these stories and helping prove there's an audience for queer stories by queer creators. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch. And organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? 
Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Which one of you is like totally into astrology and stuff? Me, <laughs> Sarah. Okay. So I'm Cancer. I am the crab, mm-hmm. the moon child. I am hard shell on the outside and super squishy on the inside. I am the embodiment of what a Cancerian is. Like <laughs> yep. everyone is afraid of me until they actually get to know me. It's like, I thought you were so mean. Why are you like blowing your nose on my sleep because you've been crying <laughs> for 10 hours? Yep. Yeah. Just because I got sad about a thing. Yep. That is very, very typical cancer. Yeah, I know. know. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly how every cancer would respond to. (laughs) Just be like, yeah, I'm aware of that. I've read. I read. I'm I'm aware of how sensitive I am. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Amazing. Okay, so Erica, I'm like feeling a little bit embarrassed because I have a question to ask that I feel like is going to show that maybe my reading comprehension is lower than I thought it was, (laughs) which is, is this your first comic you've done letters on or do you do letters on all of your comics? Um, I have uh, lettered a lot of comics. Mm -hmm. I don't letter all of my comics, but I I tend to letter a lot of them because I'm a control freak. (laughs) So... um, I actually, I taught lettering for a couple of years on an online course. So I, I've done it professionally. I've been brought in to letter comics professionally. You know, when I'm not getting writing work, I'm usually lettering somebody's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but yeah, I mean, one of the things that, that I find really convenient about lettering comics is that I can always tweak the dialogue on the fly. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> awesome. Well, when you're doing like... I've worked on comics where other people have lettered. And first of all, I am the first person to admit this. I'm pretty critical of other people's lettering. And it's such a bitchy thing to do. And I know it. And I'm so, so, so sorry. But it's like, I'll pick up a lot of books and I'll be like, why did you not hire a letterer? And for a lot of indie books, I really suggest that to people. I'm like, look, I know that you're on a budget and you're doing everything yourself. I get that but you might want to either hire a letterer or hire somebody to just give it a once over, like look at it and then give notes to you. Um, Because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of really fantastic stories that are very poorly lettered. And for me, 
that sort of takes me out of the moment. That takes me out of the story. And again, I know it's something that I really get hung up on and I shouldn't. But for this particular story, I decided to letter it myself because as I'm looking at the artwork and I'm looking at the script, Carolla will do something with the acting of a character and it will kind of negate some of the dialogue that I've originally written. So I'll turn around and say, oh, you know what? I'm just going to shorten this or I'm going to change this line um, because the art is already conveying the information that needs to be conveyed. Whereas when someone else is lettering something, I then have to send an email to my editor and say, I have some lettering changes and then put them all in a Word document and then send it to the letterer. And then the letterer puts it together and then the letterer sends it back to me. And it's just like, I could just do it myself. So yeah, it basically comes down to how much control freak. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and your letters are lovely. When I noticed that it was you, I was like, I am twice over impressed now you know like (laughs) that's really that's awesome and I love the idea of like editing yourself as you go that's so freaking funny I sometimes get annoyed in comics when I can't tell if someone's like whispering and one of the things I really liked is that in this comic when they're whispering versus like when they're talking out loud the color of the letters shifts and that like made it really easy for me to know like oh it's gray instead of black they're speaking softer so often I'm like it's like when I'm watching TV and people talk shit about someone they're sitting two feet away from. And I'm like, motherfucker, that guy heard you. Like, I know that he did. And it, like, it breaks the wall for me. I'm just like, I no longer believe this fiction. Um, so I really like to be able to be like, I know they're whispering. Smash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm all hulking out. I'm like, the third TV this week that I've broken. Um, but yeah, I thought that was really nice. And I thought it it brought a really, it it evoked the mood really nicely. You also have some blue letters, which I thought was nice. Again, I think that was from when they're talking on the phone. Um, it's nice to just see how they're, they're differentiated. I can hear their voices sounding different in my head. When I was teaching the lettering course, I literally like made a handbook and it's something stupid, ridiculous. It's like 45 pages. (laughs) Don't take my course. I'll make you read. Um, and, and I would say like, there's different ways to do whisper lettering. You could do it where you have a bigger balloon and smaller text. You could do it with a dotted line. You could do it where you sort of gray it out. None of the ways are right or wrong. It just has to do with the aesthetic. And um, one of the other things is that, you know, lettering my own stuff is I can experiment and not feel like I'm wasting somebody's time. When somebody else is lettering my work and I want them to experiment, I always feel guilty about it like asking them, oh, well, maybe you should try an upper lowercase font or maybe you should try this or something like that. Like, I feel like I'm overstepping my bounds or I'm asking too much of them. So I'm just kind of like, I'm just going to letter it myself and I'll drive myself crazy. I don't want to drive anybody else crazy. (laughs) So The best way to go, probably, now that I think about it. (laughs) Drive yourself nuts. Yeah, it's easier than taking it out on the world, I guess. Although I'm sure that letters are very, very used to exactly that number. Like a bunch of demands, right? You letter, obviously, so I don't have to tell you, but I'm sure that people are like, I decided this all of a sudden, (laughs) like regularly, right? Well, here's here's a little pro tip for anybody who's writing a script. Um, Before you send it to a letterer, any of the words that you want bolded and or emphasized Make sure that you not just bold and or italicize it in your script, but also underline it. Because sometimes, depending on the font that the letterer has on their computer, that when they upload your script, that bold italicize that you think is totally easily seen is not necessarily easily seen. So if you underline it, then the letterer will definitely see it and say, oh, okay, as opposed to having lettered an entire 22-page story and then someone coming back saying, oh, so here's the bolding draft, (laughs) and then going back to every single page to bold random words on every single page because it was not underlined in the script. So that's that's a pro tip for you. Oh, and no two spaces after a period. I don't care what your (laughs) typing teacher told you. They are wrong. This is the 21st century... Okay, unless you are Tom Hanks, you are not typing on a 1912 (laughs) brother typewriter, okay, where you have to hit the space bar twice to make sure that you actually get a space, okay? You're using freaking computers, okay? If I had a dollar for every double space I have deleted in my editorial life, I'd be retired. (laughs) 
I would. Oh God, that's that's. <laughs> see, this is the stupid nitpicky stuff that drives me up a wall. <laughs> yeah, we are kindred spirits that way. <laughs> I'm like, you know, my car's on fire. I'm like, oh, that's fine. Door falls off. Oh, what are you gonna do? But like, <laughs> I can't. I can't find my period. second sock. Yeah, there's two spaces after this period. You know not to use this. The other one is when people use the single quotation mark instead of the double quotation mark. <gasps> I'm like, we are not British. <laughs> no, for the love of all that's holy. Bitches on comics, where we complain about nitty gritty grammar. <laughs> my my students actually hated it because I made them script this year, and I gave them and I again I made a thirty page textbook for them, and I said like these are the stupid little nitpicky things that I'm going to come after you about. And when they weren't paying attention, I'd be like, do it again, or like look at this, and and they would just be like, oh my god, whatever. It's like no, not whatever. Damn it. <laughs> No two spaces after a period. It's like, Erica's nuts. Yes, she is. You are correct. So I, I love that you've mentioned this. And I, you know, we talked a little bit about Charmed last time you were on the pod because we had such a fun time talking about your work and about, obviously, we dished a little bit about behind-the-scenes drama. <laughs> I was like, finally, someone wants to talk to me about this show that's been off the air forever. Oh, my God, yeah. uh, so I'm curious, like, where do you see Charmed coming in? Is it in the way that the sisters relate to one another? Or, like, what is so special about the relationship between these sisters? Well, okay, so any three is really, I think, an interesting sort of round robin. So I'm one of three. I have an older sister, and then my brother's the oldest. Or our brother's the oldest, excuse me. And um, if you remember the old Charmed, I, ha I have not seen the new the new uh, series. Uh, it is on my Netflix list, but I have not seen it yet. But if you remember the old series, they always had sort of two ganging up on one. And that really is the dynamic of siblings that are th of three. If you have two siblings, if it's just like you and one other sibling, that dynamic isn't there, you know? But when you're three... It literally is two people fighting, one person hanging back and watching and observing and being like, okay, who am I going to align with? Because who looks like that they're going to win this fight? Or who's not going to tell on me to mom? So that's who I'm going to, you know, join with. And that sort of alliance back and forth is a round robin. It can change on a dime. And it really, I mean, that's, the way I grew up and when I was talking to some other friends that are one, also one of three, they're like, the dialogue in this and the dynamic between the three sisters is too real. This is not fiction. And I'm like, hey, my, some things might have actually been pulled from real life. But it basically comes down to this story is, yes, there's, you know, the whole Nazi fighting aspect and these like kick-ass ladies. But the true genuine core of this story is about these three young women their relationships to each other, their relationships to their mom, both individually and where each of them sort of sat in the hierarchy of their mom's life. And, you know, how their mom was kind of controlling and how even in death, their mother is still controlling. Each sister is going to deal and process the death of their mother in a very different way. Each one dealt with their traumatic childhood in a very different way. And you're going to see them evolve. And some of them are going to evolve for the better. And some of them are going to evolve for the worse. And yeah, it's it's a lot about who you think you are versus who you really are, who you want to be versus who you think you should be. Um, there's a lot about like family expectations and things like that. So yeah, I mean, it's it, just like with Forgotten Home, there's a lot about family here. And I think the reason why I write about family so much is because family is something that I think everyone can relate to, whether it is biological family or found family. So everyone can sort of relate to a relationship with someone else. And I think that that's important. I think having your audience be able to relate to your characters and find some commonality is important. And by using family as sort of the, the crux of this whole thing, and, you know, relationships between siblings and between parents, um, I think that that's sort of the shortcut way to get your audience to like really be like, oh, yeah, I recognize that. Yeah, I mean, I think the dialogue is extremely realistic. It, it feels like I'm watching them have a conversation versus like reading a comic, which is very cool. 
Now, from all three of us, I'd like to hear who is your favorite sister. My favorite is the blonde, bisexual, violent Violet. <laughs> I love everything about her. I love that she's hitting on everybody in every room she goes into. She's like, hey, what's up? You're cute. You're not my type. Okay, hey, what's up? You're cute. You're not my type. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I have no problem with that. I like that she's got a, a knife up her sleeve, you know, literally and figuratively. Like, what's not to love? Okay, Erica, who's your favorite? Ah, oh, see, this is tough. Because okay, I'm like, gonna let you think, Sarah, who's your favorite? I was going to say Violet, too. Even <laughs> though, even though I like them all, but. They're all great. And we've only read the first issue. So my opinions, I mean, there's no way I'm going to have the same opinion by the end, right? Like, that's kind of no, how By it the end, goes. you're probably going to be like, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming from that person. And then you're going to mm. go back and you're going to be like, oh, now I see like the slow devolving of this character. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. You know, well, that's the thing is with the three of them, they all change. You know, nobody stays the same throughout this story. But some sort of like their stock goes up, others their stock goes down. Um, I would say, you know, Violet is what a lot of people think I am. Violet is is kind of the, like we talked about being a Cancerian and sort of people having a, an incorrect assumption of who you are. So Violet, I think, is is who a lot of people think that I am. Poppy is very similar to me in the sense of like, trying to keep people a bit at arm's length because Poppy definitely keeps her her husband and her children at arm's length because she she feels she wants to protect them from being exposed to the trauma that she was exposed to as a child. And Rose is very just kind of like, okay, everybody shut up and listen to me and I'll show you the way. So there's definitely a bit of me in all of them. I would say there's a part of me that's like, say that you like Rose so people don't think you're so fucking chaotic. But obviously, Violet is the most fun. (laughs) Violet is the most fun to write because she can literally say anything. Like, there's a sequence where the three sisters are talking and Violet wants to leave because she's like, you know what? You're not listening to me. You, You don't respect my opinion. And that's something you'll see, too. The youngest usually doesn't have their opinion respected. And the other two are probably like, well, we're older and we know more. Um, And you see that dynamic and it comes up over and over and over again. And it's this idea of like, well, fuck you. Why am I even here then? And Violet even says that, like, why am I even here if you're not going to listen to me? And so she goes to leave and Rose literally throws a knife across the room and it lands right in the wall. And the next sequence is it's three panels with the same exact framing. And it's Violet sort of smiling and being like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, my sister's still a badass. And then there's this cop who peeks his head in And he's like, hey, is everything all right in here? And Violet's response is, fuck off, we're grieving. And then the next panel, she just like nonchalantly lights a cigarette. And that sequence of those three panels, I have had from the absolute beginning. So like when I had no idea where the story was going, that idea of somebody coming in, hey, is everything okay? And in earnest, one of the sisters just being like, fuck off, we're grieving. And just whoop. Like, okay, I'm removing myself from the situation. You know, that like Homer Simpson gif where he's like going back into the uh, into the bushes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that those dynamics feel so real. And it's cool that I also, when I have an idea for a story, have like a very visual early moment that I can, like I hold on to as like I'm developing everything. Was that the case for you? Or did you hold on to that moment to help anchor the story? Or were you just like, write it down, I'll figure out where to use it. Um, I knew it had to be upfront because I think that that is a very sort of character-defining moment. So I knew that it had to be in the first, at least the first chapter, if not like, you know, the first, I think it's like the first 10 pages, which when you're writing a screenplay, they always say like everything has to be sort of thrown out within the first 10 pages. Um, And obviously, you know, writing a comic is different, but I definitely... I definitely wanted to make sure that that moment was there early because it really shows who Violet is. And (laughs) Violet is just not to be messed with. When I, you know, when I was talking to Kevin Wada about doing the cover, I said, I was like, it's clueless meets singles meets law and order. And his response was like, huh, that's different. But, you know, that's where great ideas come from. It's a melange of things. And I was like, awesome. And so I was describing the sisters and I said, Violet is the girl 
who's going to fuck you hard and then fuck you over so bad and not even look back. And he's like, <laughs> okay, okay. So, you know, that's basic. that is Violet. Violet is going to screw you and never look back as she walks away. Respect. Nothing but respect. Yeah. So, Erica, you are a writer, a letterer, a teacher, and then you also edit for Mad Cave Studios. Is that right? Yes. How do you do all of this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I do any of it. Uh, I said before, I'm insane. Well, the teaching, I mean, I, I am going to be, the semester is ending. I will have more time to myself. You're not, you don't teach over the summer? Uh, I'm going to be teaching um, a seminar once a week over the summer for just the month of July. So if you want to sign up for the summer intensive program for the Kubert School, go to kubertschool.edu. There's my little plug for the school. Um, yeah, after my students listen to this, be like, wow, she curses just as much in class. <laughs> so basically, um, I keep a lot of lists. Like we talked about notebooks before. Like I have a notebook that I make sure I write my daily to-do lists down. I don't technically bullet journal, but pretty close to bullet journaling. And I write everything down and I make sure that I keep a pretty tight calendar I am editing two projects right now. Uh, Both are in two different stages. So one we've already started with art. The other is a longer form project. So we're just starting on script. But, you know, obviously when art gets started is when things start to really, you know, be intense because you're juggling everything. So you've got your letterer, your your colorist, your line artist, your writer, and then your writer has to do lettering pass. And there's a licensor involved and they have to sign off on stuff. So that's that's really hurting cats. That's a tough job. But otherwise, I mean, I don't know how I do it. I genuinely don't. Uh, there go I, but for the grace of God. Uh, and I haven't died yet. So, <laughs> so I'm just kind of thinking that maybe I'm still doing it okay. I'll, I'm probably burning out and just have no idea. I'm not that bright. Basically what it came down to. <laughs> I'm not that bright when I when I agreed to do everything. <laughs> this is the realist. <laughs> yeah, I'm realist being I'm being like... totally real. Look, when you're when you're a freelancer, and this is you know in in all joking around, when you're a freelancer, um, there is a level of anxiety that you have to pay the bills. You know, unless you have a spouse or a partner or a rich family, and you really don't have to worry about finances you want to make sure that you have a steady stream of work coming in. Um, And that's where scheduling is really important because you want to make sure that like, okay, so this project is going to end. And then I got to make sure that I have something lined up within a couple of weeks because you don't want that dry spell. And COVID really screwed a lot of things up because there were multiple projects that I had that people then had to pull back and say, no, I'm sorry, I can't afford an editor or I can't afford a letterer. Or, um, you know, I can't afford your rate to write it. And I 100%, I, I completely understand. But on the other side, then I'm scrambling to then fill what that time and what that sort of budget was originally going to be. Um, and that happens a lot. That happens often. And it especially happened to a lot of people when COVID hit. But I have to say, I'm very fast at lettering. And I don't say this to be like, oh, look at me. I, you know, I just, I happen to be very fast at lettering. So I can letter multiple projects. I mean, every letter letters multiple projects simultaneously. But I tend to be able to like bang them out really quick. And when I am teaching, I usually will give assignments in class. So the students will be doing some work and then I can, you know, bang out another page of script or, you know, letter another couple of pages or whatever while they're doing their work. But aside from that, I mean, I I genuinely don't know how I do it. I don't, I'm not like a caffeine addict. That's the thing. It's like, that's another (laughs) thing is like, I don't like drink a lot of caffeine or anything. So I think it's literally just like misanthropy and piss and vinegar, (laughs) just like sheer spite (laughs) (laughs) That keeps me, that keeps me going. Like I've got to do it to spite any bullies from middle school, you know, kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I genuinely don't know what it is. I try not to question it because I think if I do, then, then I'll to make another Bob's Burgers thing. Like the day that like Teddy asked Bob how he made a burger and when he thought about it, he couldn't make a burger. (laughs) So I'm afraid that if I like really start to think about it, I'm not going to know how I do it. And then I'm going to get the, what do you call him? He said, you get the something. 
like you get the yipes or the something yips. like it's the, you get the yips. yips okay so there you go so i don't want the yips so i'm not going to analyze it <laughs> don't look too closely don't look just keep doing your thing <laughs> i was li- i drive a stick shift car and i literally forgot i thought about it i was at a stoplight and i was like huh and I started in my head thinking about the mechanics of, you know, clutching and changing the transmission and the manual transmission. And the, and the next thing, the light changed. And then I went to go gear shift and I could not remember. I was like, I gave myself the yips. What is wrong with me? You never think about how you shift the car. You just do it. God. Yeah, I know. I feel like I'm learning a lot about myself, too, because I'm like, the only time I have anxiety is whenever I'm like, oh, look at how much I have to do. So a lot of times whenever somebody is like, oh, how are you doing all of that? I'm just like, nothing. I'm not doing anything. (laughs) Like, quiet. Do do not pay attention to the man behind the curtain. It's exactly what it is. It's like, just keep going. And no, and I'm not saying that there are not moments that I literally like curl up in a ball and I'm like, what the actual hell is wrong with you? Um, (laughs) But I mean, for the most part, it's just like, okay, I've got stuff to do. I'm just, I'm going to get it done. And if I don't get it all done today, then I'm going to maybe wake up a half an hour early the next day and get it done. You know, and I I mean, my husband is a freelancer as well. And so he understands. So if he comes up to my, to my office and I've got like my noise canceling headphones on and he peeks his head into the, the room and I just sort of like, you know, give him a head nod. Then he's like, OK, she's got crazy shit going on. I'll leave her alone. And it's the same with him. Like if I go downstairs and he's like got the headphones on and he's like totally keyed into his computer, then I'm like, all right, leaving him alone. And there's a lot of lonely nights like that sometimes. I'm going to be honest. You know, there's a lot of like, OK, well, I'm going to just go to bed or he's going to go to bed and I'm still working. But I mean, we totally understand where the other is coming from. And we totally respect that. I think that's important as well. Like if you are in a relationship with someone, um, even if it's a friendship and you you are a freelancer or you're a creator, I mean, you need to really surround yourself with people that understand that there's going to be crazy hours and you're going to have crazy deadlines, but you have to maintain that. And that's part of the life. And as long as you are with people that understand that and people that respect that and give you your space, then I think uh, I think you're going to do okay. My partner is like wonderfully supportive and totally like would love for me to work as much as I want and is my best friend. Well, and that totally works. We're like, oh shit, should we just hang out for four hours instead of me doing all the shit I have to do? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh great. So tomorrow I'll work 12 hours. This is yeah. great. But, you know, that is the one advantage of the free, well, one of the advantages of the freelance thing is getting to choose your own hours. So I'm like, well, future me can suck it. (laughs) I'm going to do drugs and play video games. (laughs) Past me had a great time and future me hates past me. Yeah. Yeah, What a dick. (laughs) Damn it, past me. Yeah. (laughs) I used to have a good past me when I would like get drunk. I would clean the house. So like after a party, we'd wake up and be like, damn, looks great in here. I don't drink very much anymore. So now past me is just like a stoner who's like an asshole. You know, we all have to have past me's. <laughs> oh, too true. Too true. Sarah, did you have any other questions? I do not have any other questions, but I would like to know. Uh, actually, I do have another question, which is. <laughs> I don't have any other questions, questions, but let me go into this question. question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm all out of questions, but I do have something I'd like to ask you. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, what do you have coming up after this? Because this could be a longer project. We never really know in the world of comics when we get to see a volume two and like all of that. But other than this particular series, what do you have coming up? Um, I have some half-written series that I'm looking to do. Uh, there is a graphic novel that I want to do. Uh, there's a poem that I've been obsessed with since college. It's called Porphyria's Lover. Um, it's by Robert Browning. And I'm I've been obsessed with this poem for 20 years and I know it's like your English major is showing. Um, (laughs) And I have a sci-fi retelling of that poem, graphic novel length, that I really want to tackle. I think with The Deadliest Bouquet, though, I mean, this story arc of this five issues, definitely. If we do gangbusters on the, the Kickstarter, maybe we, you know, do a short. Like maybe we do you know, an eight page, 12 page story that we add onto it, 
either talking about Dahlia and Georgette in Paris and when she meets Leif or Jasmine and her brother going on missions, you know, when they were teenagers or something like that. I mean, it kind of depends on how well the Kickstarter does, you know, knock on wood. Uh, But if it does really well, then, you know, that'll sort of buy me time and sort of, you know, say, okay, we're going to do a couple extra pages and we will... um, explore this this world, explore this lore a little more in these characters and such. I would love to go back to them. I really, really would. And I mean, I was going on and on and on about the French Resistance. So obviously I want to write that story. Um, but I, I think right now, sometimes I just need to like give that a rest, let it rest, and then go to something else. So I've got, you know, the Porphyria's Lover, and then I've got a couple of other stories that I've been sort of kicking around because I always just write everything down. And then when I have a breather, I'll sort of go through the notebook and be like, oh, this looks like it has legs or this is a totally stupid idea. Let me come back to it later. Or, hey, this is actually way more fleshed out than I thought it was. And there's also like this film idea that I came up with that I talked to my husband about and he really loves. So, I mean, for all I know, I'm going to be writing a film after this. I don't even know. I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. I don't know. You know, I know, I know it. I know at 945, I have another podcast that I that I'm recording. Like, you know, I'm just recording every podcast under the sun. So I'm just like, time doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah, I feel like coming out of the pandemic, I don't know how long anything takes. Yeah, all the work I, I usually try and keep track of how long it takes me to do things so I can be better at predicting in the future. It doesn't matter. Who knows? I was just working and then things got done. I don't know what reality is. And that's how I felt. Don't the give yourself year. the yips. <laughs> don't give yourself the yips. That's what it comes down not. to. I'm committed to not giving myself the yips. I'm going to be thinking about that all night. I love Bob's Burgers. Bob's Burgers is the best. Absolutely really the best. Well, Erica, thank you so much for joining us. Real quick before we close here, let people know where they can find you on social. And then let's plug your Kickstarter one more time. Um, well, you can find me on Twitter at Erica Schultz 42 and on Instagram at Erica Schultz Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. My website is ericaschultzwrites.com and uh, there's a shop link there and you can pick up all the previous books that I've done, uh, including Charmed and Xena and M3 and a whole bunch of other stuff. And if you want to follow Deadliest Bouquet on Twitter, it's at deadly underscore bouquet. And the Kickstarter launched on uh, May 11th. And uh, we go until June 15th, I think it is. It's 35 days. So, yeah. And you've got tons of benefits and perks. And go sign up at whatever tier is comfortable for you all. Three of you lucky listeners can get yourselves drawn into the comic. If you do, please send me the picture. That sounds amazing. (laughs) And, yeah, thank you so much, Eric. It is always, always a pleasure to talk to you and get to know more about the projects you're working on. I'm like, a film? Wonderful. I can't wait to see it on the big screen. (laughs) What's next for Erica? Who knows? (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. You're always the best. Thank you, listeners. We couldn't be here without you. I mean, we could be here without you, but it'd be very awkward. So thank you for being here. a podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So (laughs) we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot T-C-H-E-S-O-N-C-O-M-I-C-S at gmail.com. And yeah, remember, there's no I'm bitch. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Sarah Century, and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and Twitter and Instagram. Still Sarah Century on those. I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. 
Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Nowadays, trends and news cycles change faster than we can blink. But there are some things that withstand the test of time. And if you're looking for a connection to something timeless, and maybe also a glimpse of life at a slower pace, I believe everyone can relate to the very human experiences explored in Jane Austen's novels. And that's where I come in. My name is Alison Larkin. I'm a writer, comedian, and narrator and host of The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin. I spent a lot of my childhood in the part of England where Jane Austen lived and wrote, and now that I live in the States, nothing gives me a sense of homecoming quite like narrating her books. On this show, you'll listen to award-winning narration, I'll give myself a pat on the back for that, as well as conversations with actors, writers and other fascinating people who all share a passionate love for Jane Austen. So please, join me as we embark on a wonderful journey through Jane Austen's work. Be sure to listen and subscribe to The Jane Austen Podcast with Alison Larkin wherever you get your podcasts.